0: Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Kim Malik, to our show today. Kim is the founder and CEO of Salt & Straw, an ice cream company that produces and offers unique ice cream flavors made by hand with local ingredients. Kim had always wanted to open an ice cream shop, and in 2011, after years in corporate jobs at companies like Starbucks, she finally took a major leap of faith. Kim cashed out her 401k, sold her house, maxed out her credit cards, and organized a garage sale, all to fund their first location of salt and straw, where she would imagine flavors rarely seen in ice cream at the time. Their opening values were centered around connecting with their community and working with local farmers, artisans, and craftsmen to source the best ingredients. The community responded, and despite an especially Rainy Portland summer, people were waiting in lines just to sample salt and straw ice cream from a makeshift cart outside a partially constructed shop while the media raved about their thoughtful and unique flavor combinations. More than a decade later, Kim has grown salt and straw to a hugely successful business with incredible celebrity investors like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. In our interview together, Kim shares how she pursued her dreams despite living most of her life in fear, and how her first job out of college at a small company called Starbucks played a significant role in shaping her career path. And she also walks us through key learning she had working alongside Howard Schultz, the former CEO. We also talk about how Kim overcame her fears and insecurities of launching her quote unquote dream business, despite knowing nothing about ice cream. She also walks us through how she funded the business in the early days and how she dealt with criticism from many investors who said she had a horrible idea and so much more welcome to the show kim oh thank you i'm so excited i'm so thrilled i'm a big fan of your brand and i know i was just telling you this before the interview when i was doing research on you i'm like i wrote so many questions and i'm like we are gonna have a lot to talk about so i love you so much more even after doing the prep and Uh, i know this is gonna be a great one so thank you again oh i'm thank you so much Yeah. So I'd love to just jump into it and kind of talk about something that has been a theme in your life, which is how you've mentioned yourself that you've lived your life mostly in fear sometimes, but on the outside, right? We look at you and we're like, she's successful. She's taken so many risks. You've had so many different jobs in your life. So I'm curious, how have you managed to pursue your biggest dreams without letting fear kind of hold you back?
1: Yeah. Oh my God. It's a great question. And I feel like even so going through the pandemic, that has become a bigger theme. And for so many people, myself included, because we kind of got a front row seat to everything we had to lose in a way. So (laughs) maybe that's fueled my fear even more. But (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like I said, I do try to use it to fuel myself versus hold myself back. And so I'd say, gosh, I remember when we were about to start Salt and Straw, we had our first store kind of on the docket to open in the Alberta Arts District in Portland. And we found out we were $40,000 short. And My brand new boyfriend at the time, who's now my partner, and we have three kids and (laughs) we're still together, he was trying to help me secure some funding at the last minute and ended up having to put his house up for collateral to get a $40,000 loan. Wow. And I think about that even now, you know, 11 years later, as it relates to this question, because I found myself getting up a little earlier in the morning (laughs) just to have people believe in you that much. You know, I want to really earn their trust and earn that. And I think that expanded on and on the the more the business grew, because here I have all these employees and team members who are now counting on me to make this work. My cousin, who's my co-founder. So while well, I wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. still to this day with panic stricken, what have I done? How are we gonna, you know, make it through tomorrow? Familiar. Are still you have awake those at ideas. The time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can call me, I'm awake. <laughs> but I oftentimes am really driven by the people who are counting on me and how I can show it for them and kind of make it all okay. Cause they're looking to me to say, like, is, are we, you know, are we on the right track? Where are we going with this? And I think for all of us, as we find that feeling of fear, how do we not let that stop us, but let that drive us to kind of new levels of greatness. And a lot of times it's like, okay, you're awake at three in the morning, laying there worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. I think that talk that I've started to have with myself is about not like, how do we boil the whole ocean and fix all these problems? But what is that very next thing that you need to do? When you wake up in the morning, because when we wake up in the morning, it's all okay, usually, right? What is that one next thing you need to do? And just focus on that. I find that really calming. And it helps me a lot anyway.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm so and I appreciate you being so open about this, because you clearly have a massive business. And this is something that you still deal with, right? Because some people are like, Oh, once you start a business, and you've made it like those fears are gone. It's like, the difference between you and someone who hasn't started, is you're just going for it with the fear and you're tackling it every single day. And I hope that just makes it more approachable for any woman listening because those feelings of imposter syndrome, of fear, we all have it. It's just about taking the leap and finding you know your why, which for you is like people are counting on you. You love your customers. I know you really double down on that, but these are all Normal feelings that we all experience.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought that up just specifically in the context of women. So, like, I had this idea to start an ice cream company in 1996. I finally opened the store in 2011. So talk about just sort of fear and keeping that on the shelf. And there's a lot of reasons, a lot of really good reasons that I took as long as I did. But I always laugh because I'm in rooms with my brethren, all these other entrepreneurs who are a lot of men usually. And they will wake up in the morning and say, like, I just had the best idea. I cannot wait to share it with the world. I'm going to honor you with this brilliant idea I had. And then, you know, myself included, women are so famous for wanting to perfect something before they bring it to the world. You know, if it's in politics or sports or business, you know, there's all those studies that if a job posting says you need five years, women will be like, well, I only have four and a half. <laughs> and yeah. they won't apply for the job. And the men will be like, well, I don't have any experience, but I think I'm pretty good at that. And they'll apply. And in my situation, I think what I learned is that level of perfection that we want to get to, especially as women, there's good enough, like you've got it good enough. And finding the courage to share that with the world is so hard. Absolutely. And did you
0: find yourself, and I know we're fast forwarding, but I think it's topical because you mentioned perfectionism and that is something so many people deal with. But did you have those feelings of perfectionism when you were launching the brand? Or did you realize, you know what, good enough is good enough to launch with?
1: When we actually started rolling forward, I think I have so much grace for people, much more grace for people around me than I do for myself. I was luckily surrounded with some really passionate, great, hardworking people. And I was able to see in them, they've taken this as far as they can right now. And it is good enough. This really will get us where we need to be right now. And things like. I wanted to start a kind of company where people really were passionate about what they were doing and they felt appreciated. And maybe there's some things that aren't exactly perfect, but let's focus on those that, you know, like, why are you showing up? Let's get those most of the way there and then the rest we can figure out along as we go. But, you know, it's funny. I mean, I remember standing at our shop in Alberta looking around and our our landlord was there with me and he was like, you would never know this was your first store. Like things just look really buttoned up. and, And I think we have this idea of being what we call a generous brand and we want to offer people more than they expect. And that means like going into the details and making sure you get those right. So I'm pretty obsessive about a lot of that stuff
0: yeah no same, especially when it comes to customers, I'm kind of crazy about all that so yeah. and you can't go wrong when you're building a brand like they see it that you genuinely care, and those thoughtfulness and the details of where it matters actually make a difference.
1: No that's exactly right, and they do it does matter. like I remember one time we were working on this signage, and the person who I was working with to have it made it, it wasn't quite right. And he said to me, well, you're selling a lot of ice cream, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, that's not the point. Like my customers know they care. Like they're showing up, standing in the rain in February, waiting in line to go have ice cream and I want to earn their business, you know, and make sure that we're doing things right and taking care of the details. That's kind of a silly one, but all of it matters. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I want to start with the beginning because you had many different lives before you started your ice cream business, salt and straw. And I'd actually love to start with maybe your first job, which I believe you had during and after college, because I think this really shaped the career path that was going to come after that.
1: Yeah. I started out with what was a really tiny company. There were 30 stores at the time and it was Starbucks coffee. (laughs) It was my parents. I always say my parents didn't, they felt sorry for me because they didn't think I got a very good job out of college. Um, No one had heard of this company. There was no such thing as a latte, you know, in most places in the United States. And so here we were with this crazy dream. And that was such a special experience for me because I got probably the two things that I'm most passionate about. I caught when I was there in those really early days. And one was, I can remember sitting on the floor (laughs) at a shop in Tacoma, Washington, as a barista while I was in college. Howard Schultz was there and they were just trying to get the company going. And he was there with our head coffee buyer. And I can remember them just speaking to us with such intensity and detail about what the business was about and why we were all there. And I remember just feeling so entrusted to be part of this team that's going to make this something special. And shortly thereafter, I think that they were the first to offer health insurance to part time employees. And, you know, they've had their ups and downs over the years. But in those early days, especially, it was so clear that you could start a company where employees were really central to everything that you were doing. And I loved that. I loved it. That spark was in me. And then I started experiencing this really special thing when we would open new stores and be part of these communities and work with the local PTA and, you know, just get to know people walking down the street. And and so that sense of community and really employee driven was actually what sort of fueled my idea to start an ice cream company eventually, because I could see ice cream, you know, could represent that in a different way. But that was my first job out of college. I love it. And then you ended up, so I know you were a barista,
0: but then you were working on the marketing team. Was that right? afterwards? So you're working with them full time.
1: Yeah. So after I was a barista for a little while during college and then spent most of my career on the marketing team. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I mean, working that closely with
0: Howard Schultz, when obviously Starbucks is much bigger right now, but when it was so small, were there any other
1: leadership kind of lessons you learned from him at that time? mm. Especially in the early days, just his undying passion for making sure that we made the right decisions for our team. I remember I was working in the office right outside of his office and Howard Bihar, who was his head of operations, when the AIDS epidemic actually was starting. And one of our team members, had AIDS and we found out and we were all, this was new in our society. Like this was a brand new thing. And I just was so struck by the care that the senior leadership took to figure out what was the right thing to do with, for this one person and what precedent that would set for our company and how we would step forward and and make the right decisions. And you know, early in my career, I wanted to go in the Peace Corps and go into politics. And I think the deeper I got into those early days, just seeing that business can be at the table, making a real difference on these issues was important to me. And I really loved that.
0: Yeah, that is so incredible. I have goosebumps just hearing about that. And, you know, I know you were at Starbucks for a little bit, and then you kind of hopped around, right? I know you love the culture and I'm sure it was great to work when Howard was there, but then you worked at Gardenburger, to Yahoo to Adidas. I know there's a lot to unpack, but what do you think are maybe some of the common threads amongst all those jobs, despite it being in such different industries.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Each job that I took, we were introducing something new. So you know, whether that was like I said, the latte at Starbucks, I was part of the team at Yahoo leading the initiative, if you can believe it back in the day to start selling things online, including auctions is the area I worked on. So most recently, I before this, I was at Red, which is the company Bono started to raise money for AIDS in Africa. So for me, I was, I was looking for, even though some of those companies were on the bigger side, I was always looking for those entrepreneurial spots where we were introducing something new and just sort of setting that up for people. So I, I think that that was kind of the common thread throughout all of that.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use, we make it every Effortless list for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia, and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com, and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening, and now let's get back to today's episode. Yeah. It's interesting because I also would jump around like every two years I would go into something new and I'm like, was I just an entrepreneur? And I didn't know it. Like I was always jumping and my dad would be like, no one's going to hire you. I'm like, it's different now, dad. Like (laughs) it ended up all working out just okay. But I saw your timeline. I was like, wow, I'm just like her. I feel
1: seen. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Maybe it is the entrepreneur inside of you and in me. Like I got it. I want to create something. I want to that drive was always there. So I think you could be right. I think you're onto something for sure. And I also was always just craving. I love those early days where you got your hands in everything. And then when I landed, I would find when I was in an environment that was a lot bigger, it was hard to just have just one little piece to the puzzle. That wasn't fulfilling to me. And also just the timelines, things would take so long and the bureaucracy and I love much more coming up with ideas and just trying it to see if it works and evolving it over time.
0: Yeah. And so. so you mentioned earlier on the in this interview that you wrote a business plan about an ice cream shop. I think this was, was it, which job were you in? Like what timeframe was this in when you wrote First, the business? Plan? It was
1: in 96, really okay. early days. Yeah. And
0: you know, you mentioned that you'd obviously you didn't end up going forward with the idea, but Can you kind of take us back to that time? And maybe what were those hesitations that stopped you from opening the store? Because it seemed like you got very detailed in terms of what you wanted and you knew the vision of yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were even looking for real estate. The woman who runs my real estate now was helping me back in 1996. So we got pretty far down the line. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing that stopped me is linking back to that idea of fear that you were talking about earlier. So when I was in college, my dad actually went bankrupt running his own company. And it was not a good experience for me or my family, to put it lightly. Like, you know, I suddenly my whole life, the bottom fell out from under me. I was working, you know, three jobs to try to make ends meet and get through college and just watching my family sort of lose everything in front of my eyes. And so this idea of running your own small business just seems Mm. so scary and risky to me. Even though I was really passionate about this and I could feel it in my bones, like this is something I want to do and it felt right, I just shelved it and it that also felt right. (laughs) It felt safe, but it was always, always, always percolating in the background and something that I thought about a lot.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm sure just, you know, my dad was also entrepreneurial, so I've seen the lows and I've lived in the highs and like growing up in that world, you're just kind of like, he's always been able to get back on his feet and create something, but it gave me a good behind the scenes of like what not to do and what to do and just how business is tough.
1: So Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's funny. I was talking to a woman who has a really fancy job at Nike and I was asking her the other day, do you ever think about leaving and becoming a CEO of like an entrepreneurial company? Or and she was like, Oh heck no. <laughs> She's like, I, I'm on the board of a couple of companies and I see how just close to the edge you always are in those situations and it continues again the pandemic really showed us that but it's not for the faint of heart i guess i'll say totally
0: totally and you know similar to you i you know i was in banking i of went to the more comfortable path of like, how can I make great money and be financially independent and not have to think. But similar to you, I always had that entrepreneurial spirit, but it took me a good 10 years to feel confident in myself to make that leap. But I joke that I make less money as I get older. Obviously, I'm reinvesting in the business, but it's true, right? I could take the money out, but I want to
1: hire someone and we're
0: self-funded. So I wish more people would talk about this.
1: Yeah, I know. It was funny. I remember... I was working at Red and I was commuting to New York. So I was traveling all the time, but, you know, making pretty good money and all the things. And the job was just out of this world, really great job, and but really intense and stressful. And I was walking my dog one day and I thought to myself, oh, I hope someday I really make it and I can just spend time doing stuff like this. And then I realized this doesn't cost any money <laughs> to walk my dog. Like- How interesting. What am I doing? Why am I? So, so no, you're exactly right. Like how much do you need and what really makes you happy? And and taking that risk on yourself at the end of the day is, I mean, we started the company during the great recession, 2011. And I remember a reporter like put in my microphone in my face and said, I can't believe you're doing this during this economic time. You know, aren't you scared? Or I don't remember what something along those lines. And I was like, Oh, no, I I didn't (laughs) think about that. Like, I was just all in doing this. And then I but then I, I said to him, you know, all the big companies that I worked for are all doing layoffs right now. So I don't know, you know, I may as well take it take a chance on myself. But did you find in all those years that you were working in finance? And I mean, you're really collecting such incredible skills. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was one of my
0: questions. Some people want to kind of jump into starting their own business after college and to each their own. But I think building that confidence and the skills in so many different industries, like I was in banking and then in tech, and then like I worked with my dad a little bit in a few in a random industry, and it all makes sense now. And I think Having a career in different things, even if it's in a different industry, it all ultimately is going to benefit you. But I'd love to hear your thoughts because I know you also have a varied career path too before Mm -hmm. launching.
1: No, I love that. I love what you just said because I just I'm in awe of people who jump into their own businesses straight out of college. Cause I yeah. yeah, I don't think I would have been nearly as successful if you can call it that as I am now. I needed a lot of that experience and it guides me every day. Not only what I did, but almost more importantly, all the people I met. Like I'm a big collector of like don't say to me, let me know if you ever need some help, because I will call you. <laughs> I will take you up on that offer. And that network has just been unbelievably valuable in terms of figuring out you know, just different decisions I'm making and how to think about things. And for me, I I don't regret not pulling the cord earlier and jumping in. I think it just was the right time. But I also feel like just keeping that if you, if that spirit is still alive in you, like it was in me, at some point, you got to listen to it and, and give yourself a, a chance, sell everything like I did and jump in. <laughs> I know, which we'll I'm get into. I one- behind you. No, I'm just kidding. No, literally, yeah,
0: which I'm excited to dig into. But you mentioned something that I think is worth talking about. You do such a great job building relationships over the years. And you said you have no problem asking. I think a lot of women, and actually surprisingly, even me, and I realize as starting my business, it's tough for me to ask for help, even though I'm giving help all the time. And I try to make myself available for other people. But do you have any words of wisdom or advice if a woman is listening today and they just feel like, intimidated to ask for help, because I think we don't do that enough.
1: I agree so much. And when this, it was probably one of my very many weaknesses, probably one of my biggest weaknesses in the first kind of half of my career. And the weird thing, the breakthrough moment for me, oddly enough, was when I got divorced. During that time, I reached out to a friend who had been divorced and I was like, how do you do this? Gosh, this seems really big and awful. And, you know, how did you come through this in such good shape? And she said, the number one thing she did was ask for help. And I remember sitting on my couch when she told me that I said, Oh, Alison, I don't know. I don't, I'm okay. I can take care of everything on my own. you know. (laughs) And she said, yeah, you can't. And, you know, you're in a really stressful situation right now. And you have a lot of people who want to help you. And I started trying that out as I went through this divorce, and boy, did people want to help. They showed up to help me paint my baseboards, move things, cry through the night. And I, as I got more momentum around that, I started applying it to my professional life a little bit more. And I, I think that is also when I realized the power of being able to say, I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer to that. Let's call some people who I think could help us and let's figure it out. And there's just this moment that you pivot, hopefully, in your career where you go from thinking you need to know everything and feeling defensive and scared if you don't to saying, like, I need help and I'm okay with that. That's actually even more powerful than thinking you know all the answers I talk to people coming up in their career, especially at Salt and Straw, about this all the time. Like the moment you can click into that, you are going to be have such a bigger impact. But it's scary. Yeah. But it
0: actually is very important because if you're going to start a business there's a lot of things you don't know. And then you hit different levels. So then once you're like, okay, I finally got this, then the next phase of growth, you don't have the answer. So you you need to just hone in on that skill because it makes no sense for one person to know everything because there's businesses all encompassing. I love that. And I think if you can tap into that or also, you know, listen to podcasts, like we live in a generation where there's so much content out there that I'm like, if I don't know something, or I might not know of someone, I'll just go on LinkedIn and be like, who can I reach out to? Who can I connect with? Who can I learn from? Maybe if they've been on podcasts and it's been super helpful. So yeah, I love 100%. seeing that. Yeah, yeah. You double down I love on that. that.
1: Yeah. Like, how do you, and, and you know, when you're sitting there in that moment and you're like, I do not know the answer to this. I do not know what to do. Part of me tries to figure it out, but a big part of my head always goes to who do I know who has experience with this? And I think especially as women, what we have to be careful of in those moments is you're not like, I'm not reaching out to get the answer from somebody. I'm reaching out to see if they can help share their experiences that I can learn from. And I'll usually ask two or three or four different people about something, and then I'll put it all together together. And think like, okay, based on what they just shared, I'm going to create my own path forward here because nobody can tell you what to do. And you actually know what to do. And once I always am just like, once I know, I'll know and don't rush me. to make a decision until I feel like I have all the information and, and to be able to say again, especially as a woman, like, no, I'm going to do this on my terms. I'm going to take the time I need. I think it's really important.
0: That is super powerful. Two things that stand out is you asking people for their experiences and like having a pointed question, I think is important, especially when you reach out to people and also you saying not rushing yourself on decisions. And sometimes you just need that time to like, soak things in to figure out what feels right. And that is how I operate and make decisions. And I realized that through starting the business, I'm like, how come I don't have the answer right then? And then I'll talk to a few people and I'll sleep on it for a week and then it becomes super clear. So I'm just sharing that if anyone feels overwhelmed, like, I don't know the answer. Like, don't rush it. So I love that that also works for you. So I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about paint the picture of your life before kind of going all into salt and straw and starting it. But you were at Red. You were, I believe, a marketing director there. What was the impetus for you to finally be like, all right, I got this. I'm going to finally do two decades later, the idea that I had.
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, I can sum it up in a short phrase, which maybe is not going to sound that good, but I met a guy in a bar, (laughs) which doesn't usually end well, but I was living in Seattle and I was going to move to New York city for my job. I came back to Portland for the weekend for a birthday party. And I met Mike, who's my current partner. We were both at different birthday parties at the same bar and started talking. And instead of moving to New York, I moved to Portland and I didn't have a job when I got here. And I thought, well, probably go work at Nike or, you know, we don't have a lot of big companies in Portland which is what is so special about it. Like it's very, it is very entrepreneurial, grassroots, close-knit. And so for me, I landed here and was really kind of starting that next chapter, like you said of moving on, like what's going to be that next job? What am I going to be doing next? And again, I think it kind of goes back to having that space to realize maybe this is time for a whole new direction. Yeah. And was it, I think I was reading like, and you saw something in the New
0: York Times
1: that kind of sparked was that after the fact or was that (laughs) what brought it back to your mind yeah that's so funny so we were sitting at the kitchen table on like a rare sunny day in Portland which we don't get very many of them and I remember the New York Times magazine fell out and on the front cover was Humphrey Slocum ice cream that's and crazy. I looked at Mike and like started pounding my fists on the table. And we all have that moment, you know, where you scream out in in frustration, like that was my idea. I had that idea a long time ago, and I never did it. And now someone else is doing it. And they're in the front cover of the New York Times magazine, and da 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 da. da. And Mike is so patient, and he's an anesthesiologist, so he's very he has all the steps and goes very slow. And I'm an entrepreneur who's out here in the crazy land. And so he <laughs> let me kind of rage for a little while. And he was like, well, you should do it. Sounds like you're so pretty passionate about it. And I think there's something to, you know, you secretly carry around this dream and then someone kind of calls you on it. It sort of rubber hit the road. Like this is the right time. If, if I'm going to ever do this, now is the moment.
0: Gosh, you know, that's so interesting because... <laughs> I actually had a similar moment with my husband, although I didn't have a business idea, but he looked at me and was like, why don't you go? Basically like a very simple question. I forgot what happened. I think I was like working with my dad and I was so ready. I think I've built the confidence that I helped him kind of build his business. I was ready to do my own thing, but I didn't know what it was. And he was like, Just go for it. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't have an idea. I've been saving my money since I was like 21 for this one moment to start (laughs) my business. And even though I didn't immediately quit working with my family, it still turned on that light bulb, kind of like your husband asking you, or if it could be a friend, like you've been talking about this your whole life, just go for it. It actually like the wheel started turning. I was like, I'm going to do it during the pandemic, but it's cool to hear how that impacted you. So tell me, you know, I guess as someone who doesn't have any background making ice cream was that intimidating for you or how did you build that piece because idea was there but you didn't even know how to make ice cream right
1: no I mean so <laughs> I I was just really preoccupied with getting the you know the business plan right and figuring out like how we were gonna fund this and I just kind of knew like I'm gonna meet the right person to become my partner on this and little did I know it would be someone in my family. <laughs> but my cousin Tyler was studying business and living in China and he moved back due to a death in the family and he started cooking just to kind of help people through just ease the pain of you know everything that was going on and During that time, he realized that he wanted to go to culinary school instead of finish his business degree, which of course the family did not think was a very good idea. And I caught wind of this and reached out to him and said, you know, if you want to do that, you can live. We have a spare room in our basement. You know, you go to culinary school in Portland. He was up in Washington and he said, well, what are you up to? And the more he heard about this ice cream idea, he said, well, I want to help. I want to come and help make ice cream. And again. So I, the thing is, I think I need someone who knows how to make ice cream. <laughs> yeah, true, <laughs> He got an ice cream maker from the Goodwill and started trying all these different recipes and sending them to me. He was relentless. Wow. And finally, he just said, you know, Kim, I will run errands. Like, I just want to help you. I really am so excited about this. And so he moved to Portland. I think three years later, he won Forbes 30 Under 30 for changing the way America eats through ice cream. So Stop turns out he was pretty good at it, but it's been so fun. So he's my partner. We started the company together and he is the evil genius behind all of those ice cream flavors that that everyone loves. And I work more on the business side. So it's a great partnership. He's like the best person you could ever work with in your life. I feel really lucky.
0: Incredible. And I love that. And I want to emphasize this because I think a lot of people who might be listening, they're like, I have this idea, but I'm not the expert behind it. And I feel like you don't necessarily have to be the expert, right? You can partner with someone like what you did. And even for me, you know, I partnered... With my sister in law, who's in wellness, who is the expert. I'm more of like the practitioner, the CEO, the operator. So it's like if you don't have all the skills, that's okay. You can find somebody. And like you were saying, you're patient about it. You're like that person exists out there. You didn't re- think it was going to be your cousin. I definitely didn't think it was going to be my sister in law. So you wow. never know how the universe puts people in front of you. So I love that, and I hopefully you know that will inspire a lot of people listening. So you finally you have the idea, you have your cousin, and then you next you need money, right? You need money. To get this off the ground. So tell me a little bit about that early, those early, early days of trying to get it off the ground.
1: Oh my gosh, it was crazy. I will tell you the one last thing on your prior question about that. I was super passionate about building community, as I mentioned in the beginning. So I knew that that was what I was going to be good at. And then Tyler would, you know, insert from the ice cream perspective. And so, you know, as we were working through this idea, yeah, we were out in 2010, probably 2009, looking for money. Well, that was not a good time to be out looking for money, worse even than it is nowadays. And I had this little business plan and I literally went to bankers. I love it. I thought they would (laughs) loan me money for an ice cream shop in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) I completely 100% believe that was going to happen. They did not loan me the money. They gave me a lot of good feedback to my business plan. So it got better and better with the more people I spoke to. And I was sitting there one day in my office kind of, I'd kind of given up, like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I remember seeing a file in my cabinet that said 401k. So I'd had these really great, you know, corporate jobs throughout my whole life. And I had a decent little 401k built up. And so I thought, oh, I do have some money. And I cashed, you know, cover your ears, any young people out there, because you're not supposed to do this. But I cashed in my 401k. I sold my house. I had a garage sale. I sold like my scuba gear and my golf equipment. I maxed out my credit cards. We like bootstrapped it all together. And like I said, we were $40,000 short in the end and Mike put us how house up for collateral. So our financing journey was pretty, I was all in, I'll put it that way. So I'm curious,
0: where did that conviction come from? I can understand if you're seeing momentum in the business and you're like, there's so much opportunity there. I just need the capital <laughs> to put into it, to take it to the next level. But you guys didn't even have a story yet. So how did you not get scared or have those fears, right? Because you mentioned, we've been talking about fear this whole conversation of you're losing everything
1: for something that maybe might not work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I did have some concerns about that. But I also, you know how we were talking about kind of bopping around a little bit to different jobs. I always knew like I can get a job I know I can get a job. I can go get a job if I need to, and I'll make more money. But I can't miss this opportunity. At this point, I was so deep into it that I could feel that this was going to work. And I had enough information based on all the planning that I'd been doing that I knew even if we, like the worst, probably the worst possible, we were still going to be okay. Like we could eke by and I could, you know, pay Mike back and kind of get things where they needed to be. I felt completely compelled to do it. I didn't. I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't wake up at 3 a.m. gasping <laughs> for air a couple times, and I remember waking Mike up and saying, "Like, what have I done?" And he said, "You know, just remember, you'll go do something else if you have." And I appreciated that he didn't say it's all going to be okay because you kind of don't know if it's all going to yeah. be okay. But we both knew, like, we'll figure this out and go do something else if we need to. And um, this is the chapter that we're we're writing right now, and we're gonna we're gonna do it. Gosh, it's always so scary. Those like early days when
0: you're spending all your time and your money before the product launches, because you're like, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And then you wake up in those days, like you said, what am I doing? None of this makes sense. Like you just, you get confused. And then the next year you're like, oh yeah, no, this makes sense. It's a very, like very much an emotional roller coaster. But what I love so much about you is that you had the confidence that if this doesn't work out, you can go get another job. And I think people forget that sometimes your plan B, C, D, E, F is not, that bad. Like, worst case scenario, you go move in with family, you move in with a friend, you get a job, you figure it out. I love that you had that mentality. And you mentioned something in another interview that really resonated. And you said the idea was stronger than you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember saying that, but it, it resonates. Yeah. like Can you yeah. talk more about like what that means? Because I definitely felt that in my business. So I think it would be interesting to share with the listeners.
1: Yeah. I mean, it took on a life of its own. And I think when you're an entrepreneur and you're getting something started, you have to defend it so much. And at some point, I can remember I went in to get, well, alone and that, that you know, they all kind of laughed me out the door. I went in to buy equipment and I remember the guy was like you know, instead of doing ice cream, you should really do frozen yogurt because people put all these toppings on it and you can make a lot more money. And then, and, and I'm like, Oh God, will you just sell me the equipment? The guy who was going to do our insurance was trying to get me out of my lease at the last minute. Cause he was so worried about me. Like just every turn and they all happened to be men. <laughs> every turn I went around, it was like someone with, you know, this new direction I should go in or telling me I can't do this. Um, I remember I got a something in the a letter back in the mail from an investor I reached out to and it was written red all over it. And it said, you can't do this. Oh my God! Do you think you are Starbucks? That's what he he wrote on the front. And where is he now? <laughs> I don't know. But if the, my friend who connected me always laughs. He's like, "Do you ever want to call that guy and talk to him?" Because he said, "I still have his contact information." I'm like, "No, no, no! I don't want to. I don't want to associate with that negativity at all." But it does make me laugh. I just I think through that kind of building, building, protecting, fighting for it. It just takes on this life of its own that it's like it's out in the world, it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I know when you guys finally got to the
0: finish line in terms of opening your first store, you were scared that no one was going to come. I I sometimes
1: feel like that with like birthdays or events. There's some fear there. So how did that go? (laughs) That's exactly like that. I know. I always so a bunch of my friends had come in from out of town to support me at the opening, which was so nice. I wasn't there because I figured, well, if no one shows up, at least I'll cater this wedding out in the Oregon wine country, which was like an hour away. And at least we'll have that money. So I started getting calls partway through the day and they were like, you need to get back here because it's really busy. Wow. And they were all working. All my friends who had come to visit (laughs) were working, making waffle cones, ringing up orders. I show up and they're like, Kim, wait, you haven't hired enough people. You got it. (laughs) This is Come on. You know, they're like yelling at me and- so it was kind of that perfect example of I like to hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Yeah. That is amazing.
0: Wow. What a great, like, first day. And, you know, I'm curious, you mentioned it rains quite a bit, at least in the summers in Portland. So how did you, I mean, even here in LA, rain or shine, like there's a long line at your store. What do you think is the magic behind that? You know, you guys have been so innovative. So, like, how were you thinking about in the early days of getting customers in when typically they're not having ice cream?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny, one of our investors is Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his ex-wife runs his business. And one of the things we connected on really early, you know, obviously they produce these gangbuster, you know, global success movies. And I remember her name is Danny. She was sitting across from me and she said, she said, you know, I wake up every morning and all I tell my team, we gotta earn every single butt in those seats. We gotta earn it. And I was like, that's how I feel. I wake up every morning and I just am like, you guys, we cannot be complacent. This doesn't happen by accident. We have to go above and beyond what people could ever imagine they would get from us, both in terms of our ice cream, but more importantly, in terms of how we make them feel. And at the end of the day, even Tyler, my cousin who makes all the ice cream, will will say like, We think it's 49% about the ice cream and 51% about this experience. I mean, I was at our Venice store in Abikini and I heard a customer saying like, this is like a wine tasting, you know, like they're going through all the details behind all these partnerships that we go into to make every single flavor and, and, you know, sharing that with them. And we call it like a moment of full face attention where you're connecting with someone. They get to just take a minute and look someone in the eye. I mean, we've had... Wedding proposals and job offers, you know, people in our line just connecting with each other. And it goes back to the idea of community that I really clicked with, you know, in those early days. And that's what I'm most proud of. And I, I think that's what people really find. I mean, I remember on the night, I don't mean to get political, but the night Trump got elected, you know, people were, some people were feeling really sad and they came to our shops. They wanted to connect with people and just be with someone and find some happiness. And, you know, we told everybody like, just give away free ice cream for the rest of the night. Like, let's just make everybody feel included and inclusive and and comforted. That sense of community is what's really important to me. And I'm curious, you know, as a business has
0: scaled and you have a ton more locations, how do you continue to harness that sense of community? Is the training quite heightened as you open up a store? Are you very, in- I mean, it seems like you're very intentional, obviously, with each store opening, but how do you continue to keep these values as the business expands?
1: Yeah, it's funny, you know, linked back to that idea of asking for help. When we were first starting the company, we went to this kind of, I guess it's like a hospitality training course (laughs) that Danny Meyer um, started in New York City. You know, he started Shake Shack and is just famous for his high-end hospitality throughout his restaurants in New York City. And he wrote this book that we really loved. And so we scraped together our pennies and flew to New York City and took this class And we got to meet him and he said on the way out the door, well, call us if you ever need any help. And over the years, I would call for all kinds of different questions and they would help us so generously. And one of the things that we really connected on is this level of hospitality and how do you embed it within your organization? And and it's not about teaching people how to treat guests. It's about, I don't even want to use the word teaching, but teaching people like how we treat each other. Everyone who we come into contact with, including our guests, and what kind of culture will support that, and how do we hold each other accountable to that? And so I think during the pandemic, we, along with everybody else, kind of swung the pendulum too far to the no, there's rules. You know, we were all trying to keep safe. And so now a big focus at our company is, you know, how do we go back and really bring those values to life and make sure that we're focused on the right things as we go forward?
0: Yeah. No, I'm so impressed by I've recently just went to your store. So it feels like everything is back in the swing of things, like pre-pandemic life. Oh. But I'm curious, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about, you mentioned obviously like The Rock and his wife, their inv- ex-wife, excuse me, are investors, and you have like Danny Myers, Union Square Ventures invested. So you went from everyone saying no to you when you were wanting to get debt, right? To now having celebrities, top influencers, and just incredible people behind you when did you realize you wanted to raise money and how did you get such an amazing book of people behind you?
1: Oh, that is a great question. So we you know, self-funded our first stores and then I was applying for SBA loans. And at a certain point, you kind of run out of runway with that. And so... I knew I needed to, to able to fund the rest of the company, I needed to go in a new direction. And so I was working with some different banks on some unique funding paths. And every time I thought about those, the 3am wake up was terrifying, like just having your neck on the line. I had met some sort of folks who had exited companies in Portland and had, you know, funds and would be able to invest. They weren't from the industry and I would meet and talk with them. And I found it a little, well, it wasn't very inspiring because I'm just spending so much time trying to educate them about what we're doing. And then I had this third option and you all know Pitfire Pizza and Paul who started Pitfire Pizza in LA, he had been in Portland. Just, I think, for fun one weekend and early days of salt and straw, he went and he was like, who started this? And, you know, anybody knows who knows him knows that if he has a question, he will get an answer to it. And he networked and got a hold of me. And he said, you should really meet this guy, Alan Carp who he's an investor. And so he introduced me. We had dinner. I knew nothing about the investor world or anything like that. And over the years, I got to know this guy, Alan, and every time I met with him, he would give me so many good ideas, and we would brainstorm, and he spent his whole career in this industry. And so that third path was the one I ended up going down years later. I'd known him for years. Just because I got so much energy from that relationship, I found we had great, his values were in line with mine. You know, he really had so many innovative ideas for how to make the world a better place. And the way he approached business and thank God that I did partner with him and Danny and the team because you know during the pandemic we really needed help and it, it tests, you know, you can get money from a lot of places, but you want to have money that aligns with your values, especially when the cards are down and your back's against a wall and decisions are being made that affect the future of your company, big or small. I really feel good about the team that we've built around us. We love them.
0: Yeah. And Remind me, so how many investors do you have total when you ended up going down this path?
1: Oh, you know, the Danny Myers team and this guy, Alan Carp. those are our two main investors. Oh, great. Okay, yeah.
0: perfect. And what I think is so awesome about this is that you developed the relationship years, right, before they ended up coming in. And I think that's important because Bringing on investors is like a marriage, right? You want to make sure that they're aligned, like you were saying, with your values. I mean, I'm curious, going through something like COVID, if you didn't have investors that had your back or were aligned with what you wanted, I mean, I'm sure that would have been so difficult. I don't even know what that would feel like.
1: I mean, I know so many people who lost their companies during that time or people, you know, investors were able to come in and be kind of vulturistic and take a huge chunk of the company away and... So I just, uh, yeah, I mean, at that moment, I was like, this is really testing how good these relationships are. And anyone who's out there raising money, I mean, I tell this to my good friends and people I just meet, like money is available. (laughs) You said it's like a marriage. I think it's even more than a marriage. Like it's easier to get out of a marriage than it is to get (laughs) out of a relationship with with your investors. So you have to be so careful.
0: (gasps) Yeah. And I'm curious because you were saying, you know, you were looking for debt options, but then years later you ended up raising money from these investors. So did you just kind of float the business and self-fund it and not kind of take on the debt at that time? You decided that's the right path?
1: Yeah. I mean, after we got through sort of those, that SBA chapter and we didn't have access to that money anymore. I mean, when you're growing a business, the one thing you can count on is things are not going to go according to plan. And banks do not like that. They do not like that. And so I just knew at that point, my neck is 100% on the line. If anything goes wrong, it's bringing, you know, me and my family now. I have three kids down with it. So I just, you know, I wanted to mitigate that risk. But I also, I think even more importantly... I wanted good people who would help me. And and that's who these folks are.
0: I love that. And I love how you said when you would meet with him, you would feel energized. Having investors or just someone you can call to talk about something that's on your mind and you feel energized from them, I think is invaluable. Even people ask me, Will you ever bring on investors? I'm like, no, we're self-funded. But if I were to find that person in a few years, right, I'm not rushing. No. That is invaluable to me to have someone who is excited, who gives, helps me with ideas. So that's powerful that you have that.
1: No, and you're right. And you're right to be careful because, you know, not only are they in bed with you and your company, but then there's sort of long-term ramifications to the decisions that you're going to make with your business, you know, as a result of their needs, which might be different than yours. So it's all, it's a lot to learn before you take that leap.
0: Yeah and what's nice I mean listen this is this is me just learning from women like you on the podcast but seeing from your experience being in the thick of running your business for at least a few years you have the business model in place for the most part. So if you have investors that come in, it hopefully is going to just amplify versus in the beginning, you're so busy figuring things out like product market fit. And then you're like, how do I retain the customer? Okay, then what's our next product line? There's so much that is kind of nice to do on your own because we move quick, we move fast. We might not have all the money in the world, but at least we get to make the, our own decision. So it's nice that you were in a position where you were a little bit more established and you know we're able to bring on those relationships when it felt right to you. So I, I love the way you approached it.
1: No, you're exactly right. And don't underestimate the amount of time that it takes to then manage those relationships that you're bringing into the company. So you're 100% right.
0: You know, I'm curious, Kim, you have a lot of friends and I'm sure you mentor and advise a lot of companies. What do you think are maybe one or two things that people are making the most mistakes on when it comes to either starting or running their business?
1: Mm. No, it is interesting. I've been in talks with a couple of women over the past even couple of months who are really in the early stages of their business and I think it links back to this idea of fear in a way where especially entrepreneurs you're kind of chasing after the next shiny thing. It's easy to be distracted and go after, well, I better do this and this and this and this. And I do it too, you know, like I want to make sure, you know, this is our core business and we're doing really well, but Maybe I should hedge my bets by taking on this, this other new business as well. And the more you can really stay true to what you're good at, what you know you're good at, the way you make money, the way you're going to change the world, the more you can stay focused on that, I think the better. Again, we're not boiling the ocean all at once. And you know, st- stick to your knitting, all the sayings. And especially, especially don't chase after those shiny things because, you think it'll hedge your bets because that's using fear, I think, to drive you in the wrong direction. You know, you know what's right for you and your company and having the conviction to stay focused on that. Like we don't sell ice cream in grocery stores. It's a great example. All of our competitors do. I'm not saying we never will, but we have really well run stores that are working and we don't want to mess that up. We're in a fortunate position. If we, if we do a good job at this, this is our business and our business is about creating community and changing our flavors and reflecting the community through our ice cream. And we can do that really well in this business model. So that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. And it's yeah. hard. Totally. But I also think it also that part of the business for
0: you, like you mentioned, you don't want to go into retail. It excites you to build community in your store. So you also have to think about as the founder of this business that you're going to be running for so many years, like what gets you excited? And I guess it goes back to what you're saying, like, don't follow shiny objects, like really tap into how you want to build the business, because that is so much of how you show up as a leader i'm sure even with your stores and what you're up to because if you go in another lane that you're not excited about it is so obvious at some point
1: energetically i think yeah. yeah i love that and and where does the energy flow like tyler showed up at the right moment you know same with you i mean i oftentimes say like if something is too i mean everything's hard and we work so hard but if something's too hard it's kind of not meant to be like where is the energy flowing and let's follow that i love that It's so true. Yeah, because it it doesn't mean it's not hard, but it
0: should be working itself out. you know, yeah. at some point. And yeah. it's interesting. One question I get all the time when I meet with people, we only have one product. And I feel like there's just still so much opportunity to educate women on what we're doing. And everyone asks me, what's the next thing? What are the next products? I'm like, literally, if I got paid for how many people asked me that question from other founders to investor, just people I meet in this world and in industry, I'm like, guys, I'm barely getting started with our one product. I can't imagine shifting my thoughts into something else.
1: But it's interesting. I love that example. I was actually on a panel at this industry event a couple months ago and you know you get that question and you you are tempted to come up with something really smart and innovative to say and i actually said We're not innovating. I mean, we innovate every month. We come out with these new flavors. We're opening new stores. We're really like innovation to me, especially at this chapter of the company, is getting really, really good at what we do and supporting our people and our managers in ways that are really revolutionary. So it's hard to not want to come up with a a great answer to that question, like you're saying. But I think it's smart. I love what you said.
0: Yeah, it's like your ego jumps in. Like, what are we working on? It's Like, actually, we're doing a lot of shit with
1: what we're doing now. <laughs> like Yeah, so yeah your ego that. jumps in. Totally. Yeah. Really like, oh, that. they're being really innovative. I should come up with something radical to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's as <that's> radical <laughs> what we're doing is radical. Exactly. Well, Kim, this was such a pleasure. Thank
0: you so, so much for coming on and sharing your story. I'm so inspired by everything you're building. And I can't wait to continue to see where the brand goes and everything you guys are up to. So thank you again for joining us.
1: Man, I just love you and what you're doing. Thank you so much.